Hi everyone, this is Michelle with the Wire Painters podcast. In this episode, I talk to Cynthia Ignacio, who has many years of experience working in animation as well as theme park and theater design. Cynthia got her start in animation working on background design on Disney's The Lion King, and I asked her about how the industry has changed since the days of early 90s animation. Cynthia also has a deep passion for theater and loves the magic and wonder of a live show experience. Having art directed on theme park projects, Cynthia shares some of the unique challenges of theme park design and how it differs from animation. My name is Cynthia Ignacio. I work mostly in animation. I've also designed for uh, theme parks and theater. I'm mostly an environment designer, but I've also done concept design, I've art directed. I got my start at Walt Disney Feature Animation many years ago. Uh, the first project that I worked on was The Lion King. So that was quite some time ago. Um, so where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in um, the suburbs of Maryland. Uh, my parents came here from the Philippines, both my brother and sister uh, and my mom and dad. And then um, I went to school in New York. And then when I joined uh, Disney, um, I was in L.A. for a bit. I went back and forth, L.A. to Florida to L.A. So I also was at the um, the Disney Paris studio for a little bit as well. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's cool. And what did you study in school? Uh, illustration. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of interesting. I mean, back in the day, we didn't have any kind of concept art or entertainment design programs like they have now. And there was a point in my career where I was looking to go more into that, but there just wasn't any program. And so uh, the closest at the time was theater. So I was thinking about going to school for theater design. So, um, you know, maybe going to a graduate program at one point. Yeah, I actually applied to CalArts for their graduate program at one point because they used to have a center for um, puppetry arts. And I love things like that. Like when I saw Julie Taymor's The Lion King, oh, it's so beautiful. I want to learn how to do that. But I kind of chickened out because the life of a full-time student is hard. So when I got a job at Sony, I was like, <laughs> so I, I turned them down. I, I have some regrets about that because they also gave me a full scholarship to, to go to the graduate program. But um, Oh, wow. You know, so I learned a lot when I was at Sony. So that was just that fork in the road kind of thing. So have you always had an interest in theater? Uh, Yeah, I have. I always loved opera and ballet. um, I particularly love the use of puppets in theater. Have you seen War Horse, the stage Mm -hmm. show? It's, It's amazing. It's just miles beyond the movie because there are these guys who are the horse and it, they disappear entirely. It's, it's so magical. I love things like that. So how did you get into animation? Well, at the time they were recruiting, uh, they were starting the Florida studio and um, eventually later the, the Paris, they were, they were expanding like crazy. And um, there wasn't actually that many schools at the time that had programs for animation. CalArts was the big one. And so they were looking for, um, for people who can really, really draw. That was the number one criteria. So it just sounded like an interesting opportunity. And one of my teachers always used to talk. He knew Walt Disney himself. 
And we didn't really understand what that was because we were in New York. It was it's more like an editorial illustration. And uh, we just thought, oh, it's, that sounds pretty magical. Let's give it a try. So this, I just kind of fell into it, really. Do they mostly teach you everything on the job? Yeah, it's, it was a little bit of a different time back then. A lot of people, younger people have asked me about that. And um, they mostly wanted people to be in-betweeners. Because if you look at the hierarchy of traditional animation, the majority of the artists were the ones who did all the animation in-betweens. And so people were being trained for that. By the time I got into the studio, um, they realized they needed people in other areas, background paint, um, layout, just environment design, and um, things like that. So I had the opportunity to to study environment design. That's the thing that interested me. Um, But yeah, learning on the job, mostly. It it was really, uh, I feel like there was more mentorship back then. If, mm-hmm. Like nowadays, I think there's a lot expected of um, a younger person coming in that they have to just like, no, there's a bigger expectation, I think. And it's really stressful. Um, so what, what did you focus on? You focus on background layout, right? Yeah, on design. It was, it, it was also a different time too. Um, the pipeline of features where they really, really took their time to to design things. Now it's just like, you know, a lot of the, that is because of the digital, but they expected things would be drawn properly, no matter how long it took, that the feature image is forever. But yeah, a drawing like that could take weeks possibly. And now it's just, like, all right, you know, turn it out. So you're doing a couple backgrounds in, in a week, probably. Yeah, I don't know how feature is these days because it's digital. You know, the workflow is digital, um, the actual medium, you know, is digital, the speed is faster. But when we did things by hand, I mean, when I, I remember bringing a friend in, uh, she wanted to do background painting. And we went to one of the background supervisors and he was showing her techniques. And I thought, when I think back to that, it's just incredible, the hand-painted backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It was just, it's just insane, like how long, and there, were, there weren't that many for every film. They were incredibly well done. And, you know, they were the same size as the layout. So if it was uh, 18 by 24, they were painting that size. And the really long pans that might be like five feet long and then different layers, they were hand painting those. So, um, and however long it took, it had to be right. So that's amazing. I'm guessing now you mostly work digitally for your design work. Yeah, yeah. Everything's uh, digital. Um, on my last job, one of my predecessors was drawing by hand. And so sometimes I would do a sketch by hand. Some of the directors will sketch by hand if they have an idea. Um, one of my directors actually, when he'd come in the morning, he would do a sketch like a warm-up, like an athlete. And then in the evening, he'd do a sketch or sometimes he would ink. It was just incredible. And I think it actually helped his work. So I thought, oh, I got to do that. And I just <laughs> never did because when you're – you just want to cram the workout and, you know, you, you sit down here in front of your computer, but I think he had the right idea. Like, I think everyone should do a little warm up just beforehand and then at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how I feel too about, um, well, just any, not, not just with like background stuff, characters, and it just feels so much nicer to do it traditionally and just have a sketch on paper. Yeah. 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 Um, so you said you were supervising. What projects are you supervising on? Um, gosh, uh, the first project I supervised on was Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. That. That, that's got to be one of the most hilarious, 
projects, there was a guy named David Slack. And that was probably the, that was the first time I ever read something like a script. And I was just started laughing. He's so talented. He's in live action now. He was really, really good. Um, so that was the per- first project that I, um, I supervised on. Um, gosh, what else? Just, just a bunch of things. It's really weird. Like the producer would come by my desk and say, uh, yeah, so we need help with this. So could you supervise? Uh, I guess it's always like an attitude for me. I'm like, all right, you know, and it's because I'm usually like the most reliable person. I'm like, okay, fine. What do you need? How do we organize it? What's the schedule? You know, we're, you know, dividing up the work. You can feel like doing this. You know, you guys have any, it's just, it's just like, I'm just the kind of person, like if somebody puts something in front of me, I'll just, you know, I'll try to figure it out, like problem solve. So what is the difference between a a supervisor role and an art director role in animation? Well, that's kind of interesting because um, in my art direction roles, it's been in theme parks. I haven't art directed yet. What is an art directing role in theme parks? Well, it's interesting because of my background in theater design. When you're designing for a real space, it's it's really different from, I mean, there's some crossover, but uh, when you're building something for real, it's a different experience. Um, I'm kind of lucky because uh, my husband is an architectural engineer, show ride engineer, and he's usually my collaborator when it's a theater project or a, a theme park project. And so he can explain to me all the different codes, all the different realities of what can be done and what can't be done. That's the thing I, I do enjoy about working in a team is the collaboration. I think that if you have a really good team, you can plus things, you can make it better. And it, it's all the problem solving, you know. Um, with art direction in the theme park industry, it's really challenging because you have to deal with people from different fields, architects, engineers, um, you know, how are things going to be constructed? You have to deal with the retail people and what they need. You have to deal with the restaurant people. Um, you have to look at the flow of um, the queues. There's the pre-shows, um, there's the actual shows. You have your um, show set people. Um, you have to figure out the scale of things, the, the view lines. Um, it, it's pretty complicated, actually. Yeah, sounds like it. So even the color, you know, the kind of paint that you use, um, the storytelling, the, the wear, so, you know, the aging of it, it's, it goes almost a little bit into live action in terms of that. The interiors are, are going more into the, the theatrical. Um, you can get away with more, I think, because there's a lot left to the imagination. But you can also pull magic tricks, like some of the, um, some of the technical directors are uh, build illusions for famous magicians. And so they can pull kind of visual tricks. It's really, it's really fascinating, actually. They've told me some stories now. Some of them have worked Sorry, with you, you said, and things. You said build illusions. What does that mean? Um, well, you know, like, um, uh, well, some of the technical directors I worked with worked with uh, David Copperfield and Doug Henning and things like that. So there are visual tricks that you can pull, you know, in animation. It's like, you know, what that, that doesn't translate, but if it's, if it's in a real space, and you pull an illusion and people don't know how, how it happened. Um, it's, it's kind of a trick. It's a set design trick. Like, have you ever been to the Star Trek experience in Vegas? Mm-mm. Well, they yet. do this thing where these people are standing on a teleporter 
And then the lights go out and then suddenly when the lights go on, you're in a complete different space. And you're like, oh my God, it's just like amazing. I think they close it. So, but it's a, it's a kind of a um, sleight of hand. And that's the magic is that you have no idea how they, how they did it. So things like that are, are really fun. So, and that was one, one of the great things. Um, if you have a great creative director who knows a lot about those kinds of tricks and sitting down and doing what's called blue sky discussions with them and trying to figure out a cool way to surprise an audience. They call it surprise and delight. Like, oh my God, you know, something that's physical to happen. And that's, that's something you can't get out of animation like that actual physical surprise. And I think that that's why people love theme parks because they're actually in that world, like a dream. We're living in a yeah. dream. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. So do you find your, your theater experience, um, helps or influences what you do in animation? Because it, it seems like you go a lot more in depth into the experience and also more of the like practical side of, of building sets and things. Um, does that help you or make you a better designer? I think so, yeah, because, um, and, and this also goes back from having that job I told you about that I took instead of going to theater um, for graduate school. Um, I worked at Sony for a while and I learned a lot there too, because there were architects in uh, particularly transportation majors. Um, and this was back when people still drew by hand and it makes a big difference, I think, because there's a lot of digital assist now, but really knowing how to draw perspective and knowing the scale of things makes a big difference. And I think that the architects in the um, transportation majors at that time, they really knew how to build things in the physical world and draw things in the physical world. So I think that um, knowing how to build things in theater and in theme parks is a big help when you're doing environment design. And with theater, I think the number one thing is the, um, the, the iconic nature of an image that um, has to live inside your mind when you're, you're looking at the stage, that when you're designing um, a background, if you can have something in there that gives you a hint of what that character's inner life is um that gives it so much more like I remember there was a background I designed uh, last year where they had a storyline where uh um the mother really really cared about her son it was like Scooby-Doo I think and so she commits like some sort of crime or whatever I don't I forget what it was for her son and so she's talking to the Scooby gang because they don't know that she's the villain and they're in her um, living room. And I was like, wow, this is a person who really loves her son. And so I put all these touches in that room that show that she was actually a really loving person. And, um, and I do remember people looking at that and some of my other backgrounds. And I remember actually to this day, one person said, I wish I could live inside your drawings. And that, that was like a huge compliment to me. But I feel like if you can get the feeling of what's inside, a character on on the stage or in the theme park design or in the background, then there is a, a whole layer of meaning because it's it's storytelling. You know, it's not just a pretty picture, but it's like what is this person thinking about? What is their what is the most important thing to them? You know, what what would be a visual image that tells their their story? Um, so, when did you start doing plain air painting? You know what? I was trying to think of that, and it might have been with Angela. 
when she, I think it might've been when she was just about to graduate or just graduated. And we were, I think, taking a class with Jackson C. Um, did you continue to do plein air painting outside of class, like on your own? Yeah, um, not so much on my own, um, but I took a lot of classes. Um, it's, you know, was it um, uh, Andrew Hem? Was one of the oh, people you took I class studied with. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, yeah, he's great. And um, Mike Hernandez was another person. Nathan Fox, Bill Perkins, um, Peter Chan. Um, and then with Angela, which is funny because we were class, well, yeah, we were classmates before. Yeah, and then uh, I joined Warrior Painters, I think about two years ago now. And I was between jobs. So I was like painting really uh, intensely. But it's hard when you when you have a job to like make the time because you're just exhausted and burned out and you, you kind of need a break sometimes. I think if you are constantly, constantly, constantly doing things after work, you're just going to, you know, there's like a well that you have inside you. And if you just keep drawing from it, you're not going to have anything for yourself. So, yeah. Do you remember what your first um, painting session was with the Warrior Painters? Oh my gosh. What the location um, was? I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. Uh, well, are there other memorable sessions that you remember? I think one of my favorites was that, uh, what's that marketplace near Angel's Flight? Grand Central Market? Yeah. That was oh, really, yeah, yeah. really cool. Yeah, I enjoyed Such that. Such a difficult location to paint. Really? You think so? I thought it was awesome. Really? <laughs> I hate <laughs> the park. The parking sucks. That's true. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. just because of how busy it is. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then people get angry at you for sitting at a table because they want to eat and you're like not eating, you're painting. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, true. yeah. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. So it sounds like you like the maybe busier, more um, architectural locations. Yeah, I think so. I, and it's interesting too, because there's so many things going on. Like if you're in a forest, it's a little bit harder to find a shape, you know what I mean? To group it, like, because if when you're in an architecture, an architectural space, there's already a certain amount of design. You just have to pick and choose. And in that marketplace, there are all these different stores. So you have this selection of places, or you could design it so that you see several places all at once. I mean, there's so many choices there and the lighting because of the signs and it's really dynamic, but yeah, there's a lot of people. So it's challenging too. So what, what do you find most frustrating about plein air painting? And what is the most rewarding part of plein air painting? Well, like painting straight out, like if this is hills and, and trees, it's really hard to come up with a dynamic composition. So that's really, really difficult. What was the other part of the question? Sorry. Um, <laughs> it was just so, so it sounds like it's, it's most frustrating trying to get a, a good composition um, yeah. out of a certain certain settings and but mm -hmm. what do you find is very rewarding about plein air painting I think the most rewarding thing about plein air painting is the emotional reward it's really interesting because I was just thinking about when we were painting with Jackson I remember it to this day it was really early in the morning we were in a park somewhere and it was raining and we were all sitting underneath a um a shade structure of some sort and it had like a tin roof. We're all sitting on, I think on park benches or something. And I remember hearing a bird taking off 
from a tree. And I thought, oh my God, it's so beautiful. It's like nothing matters. Like all your, your cares just drop away from you. And it was so peaceful. And um, I remember that was a pretty stressful time period, I think, during, um, you know, in, in work and stuff like that. And, um, and I feel like plein air painting definitely helped me. It was like a meditation. So it sounds like it's painting for you is, is like a nice way to escape from life stresses or work stresses, right? Time to relax and stuff. No, I feel like it's a, it might be a, um, a larger issue, you know, because if you think about it, we sit in front of our computers all these hours and, and, and I've heard from a lot of my colleagues that they don't feel as much satisfaction working digitally, but when they go out and paint or the drawing is like, oh, you know, they like the urban sketchers and everything. Why is that, you know? And I feel like there is a impulse inside of us to create in the physical world, something that's actual, actually real. And I think that disconnect is what's creating a kind of, a, um, people feel unsatisfied, but they don't know why. They can't put their finger on it. And it's weird too, because, you know, oh, artists, they have to feel, it's, it's, not, it's not something mamby-pamby like that. It's really real. Because I remember talking to someone, I don't know if they were like a PR person or something like that at, at a major studio. And they said, oh, the, the company is thinking about going back to traditional uh, production. This was a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Because digital is so much faster. Like that, that's a really interesting choice. And I said, why would they want to do that? And she said, because digital isn't worth anything. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, it's not actually physically worth anything. And I thought, oh my God. And I looked back and I thought, well, when we used to do um, projects um, like with actual paintings, actual drawings, they, those things have an actual physical worth, like a drawing would be, I don't know, $100, $1,000, a painting would be, thousand dollars what fifty thousand I don't know what we you know whatever and I thought wow so not even just from an artistic point of view but from a corporate point of view digital literally doesn't mean anything and we're thinking about satisfying our creative selves but when you think about like even from a corporate point of view that the physical actually has more value it literally does have more value so I feel like when we're going up painting, yes, we're satisfying a spiritual part of ourselves, but I think that there's something to it, you know, that, um, that we need to create in the real world. I think that's important. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting that just the statement of saying digital doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like, I was like, wow. wow. <laughs> I was like, oh crap. I never thought, you know, like there's the film, which has, I guess, some value, but the actual things that are being made in the computer don't have any actual physical value. I was like, oh. They're they're pixels. Yeah, pixels I was like, oh screen. my God. Yeah, I was like, that was really, I mean, it's, it's a fact. It's not even like some kind of like, oh, you know, it's, it's a real fact. So I was like, huh, something to think about. Yeah, and, and also um, in art shows and, and stuff or painting shows generally the originals like original traditional pieces are, are more valued than like a, a digital print yeah. right which you could print as many versions as you want but then having that one singular original piece it's it's generally considered more have more worth and, and more valued right 
Yeah. Yeah. So from all your plein air painting and, and going out and stuff, do you find you've learned anything from doing all this plein air painting and has that come into your, your profession, um, your, your design work? It's really interesting because, um, I took a class. I'm always taking classes. I think someone said that recently, like learning never ends. And that's really true. And I remember I <laughs> so many paintings in a week. I was like, Oh my God. Okay. How am I going to do this? So, uh, we had our choice of any location. And then, um, it's almost like if you had to do like a lot of paintings on your own, it's really interesting. Like if you were a plein air painting, I feel like you should be really prepared. You should know, like scouting a location for film, you should know your location. Like, let's say you're going to paint that marketplace. It's like, okay, what does it look like? What are the iconic shots? What are the shots that tell the story? What are the stores that are in there? What really draws you? What, what are, you know, and to look at all the um, spaces, I mean, even if it's a park, like how is it designed? You know, if there's an amphitheater there, like what, what are those views? Let's say, okay, I'm going to pick the amphitheater. And then you're like, well, what's the best angle? You're shooting a film. Like, what is the, where do you want to sit? So I feel like research is really important. Um, if you have your choice, like if you've got to do like a lot, like it's, this is my own philosophy. Like, okay, I'm going to choose an architectural space. I'm going to choose a space that has interesting shapes because then you can get down the shapes like, oh, this place has an interesting round window, you know, and you, you can do a graphic shape that has readability because we're talking about, an iconic read and you want to do it fast and then where's the light like um maybe there you can pick a place that has an interesting sign or it has an interesting light fixture and you make it a feature and how do the things point towards that like oh let me draw paint this um tr train crossroads because there's an interesting light and then there's the thing that's coming down and it points to it because i feel like um everything that you learn kind of uh, combines together I think um, when you're when you're out there painting so if you think like a cinematographer or you think like a storyteller like what's the what's the shot that's going to, to tell your story I mean if you don't have any time well what's the the way you can do it um, the most quickly um, what how can you do a composition that has the most interesting shapes where's the light What's the time of day that you want to paint? Um, I think mood is really important. Um, and then preparing your materials before you go so it doesn't take forever to set up. So anyway, I think that that's what I've observed over time. Like if, if you've learned all these different things from all the different jobs that you've done and you can incorporate them into, uh, into your painting, then I think the result is going to be a lot more interesting. So... So uh, one more final question for you. Um, so besides just going out and painting and, and, and just showing up, do you have other tips for first-timers to start plein air painting? Were there any things that helped you to start painting? I guess it's really intimidating. Probably the most intimidating thing is being in public, you know, and then there's all these people. And you're like, oh, my God, so much uh, pressure. And How do you get over that? One of the things that, we used to do back in the day is we would go to uh, to Disneyland or Disney World or whatever and just draw. And that's probably the worst situation you can put yourself in. 
some people would paint, you know, because it's so hot, right? And there's all these people and they're like, oh, that's pretty good. You should be, you know, you should go to art school. And of course, everyone's like a graduate and they're, or a professional at that point because they're in, in the animation uh, industry. And it's like, oh my God. And it's really funny. There's kind of a humor to it because the reaction of people and then they're taking pictures of you and it just becomes like a, it just becomes kind of humorous. But also the other thing about drawing and painting in um, theme parks is that it's already really designed. I think for someone who's starting out and you're like in, especially like I said, like just trees and, and you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to, how would you put that together? It's, it's really, really challenging, but it's, I feel like it's more fun and um, a lot of the work is done for you if the world is already designed. So I almost feel like if you go to a place like that where it's already really beautiful and you can have fun drawing and painting it, um, that makes it easier. Going with friends, obviously, is, is a lot of fun. And I think that it's challenging, too, when there's a lot of people and the adverse weather that's really hot out. It helps you because if you can draw and paint in that situation, you can pretty much do it anywhere. Um, you just get used to it. So that's what that's what we used to do back in the day. Well, great. Um, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much. Cool. I really enjoyed talking to you and getting to catch up. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening. We love hearing from you. So please leave a comment and share your thoughts. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to see more from the Warrior Painters, please consider donating to our Gumroad. You'll find the link in our description. Thanks and see you again soon.